This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone. My name is Judy Liebrach, and this is Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I want to start this show with a quote about mindfulness meditation written by John Kabat-Zinn, who's probably done more than almost any other person on this planet to spread the power of mindfulness. And here's the quote. It tends to be a momentous occasion to intentionally stop all of your outward activity and just as an experiment, sit or lie down and open to an exterior stillness with no other agenda than to be present for the unfolding of your moments, perhaps for the first time in your adult life. This quote was taken from John Kabat-Zinn's book, Mindfulness for Beginners, Reclaiming the Present Moment in Your Life. And on today's show, we're fortunate to have some words of wisdom from John Kabat-Zinn himself a little later on all about where we start when it comes to meditation. Also on today's show, mindfulness, meditation, and movement instructor, speaker, and integrative coach, Linda Janis is here, and she's come all the way from sunny Florida to do our show, and I bet today she wishes she was back in sunny Florida. (laughs) But first, we are delighted to welcome back yoga and meditation teacher Josh Cohn, who will tell us all about his personal journey with regards to meditation, how he practices and teaches others to meditate as well. So great to have you back again, Josh, on the program. Josh Cohn is a lawyer and a yoga and meditation instructor who gravitated early on towards the meditative side of the practice, as he found it to be the most efficient way to calm his mind and center his attention in the present moment. Josh teaches meditation in the 889 teacher training program and dropping classes Sunday evenings at Downward Dog. And his personal story with regards to meditation is fascinating, from how it all began to what it all means and how we can all learn from him. Josh, welcome back to the program, Finding Your Bless. Thank you, Judy. Great to be here again. What were the circumstances of your life that led you to yoga and specifically to meditation? Okay, well, I went through a pretty standard path. I went uh, to university, did my undergraduate degree at Western, then decided to go to law school. And in between um, getting called to the bar and completing law school, I traveled to India and I Mm -hmm. met... um, uh, over there, I met some people who had advised about taking a 10-day silent meditation retreat. Wow. And I tried it. And while I was over there, it really um, revealed to me that this was something very important. And it was something also that I'd been doing most of my life. Uh, I just didn't know that it was what it was and how to do it. You were doing silent meditation in your own way? Well, what I realized is that I was the observer. There was a part of me that I identified with that was watch things and analyze things. And uh, in doing so, um, by going back to the retreat and learning about meditation, it taught me that this was exactly what meditation is, to become the observer. So it came naturally to you. This is something that I'm sure once you started learning, you went, oh, that's what they call it, but I do this already. That's such a, that's such a cool thing. That shows you you're, in, you're so in the right lane. 
Why did you have the urge to transition from a mind and more intellectual focus to more of a body and sensory practice? Because you started with yoga, but you sort of ended up more in the meditation area. Right. Well, going through uh, university and law school, um, I was very much uh, analytical in nature. So I really, I was really a thinker, and I was also a daydreamer. And so finding something that could ground me in my body became essential. Although I didn't know it at the time until I started to practice yoga, mm-hmm. and through moving through the postures and connecting it with the breath, I started to feel more grounded and more within myself. I was also very shy as a child. Yes. And, uh, and that actually was right through even university as a young adult. I was very shy. And by practicing yoga, by practicing meditation, I started to become more and more centered in my body such that the shyness dissolved. And where before it was hard for me to make eye contact with people, now my eye contact is, <laughs> is dead on. Unwavering. <laughs> <It's> fantastic. <laughs> That's so incredible. What was yoga to you when you first stumbled across the practice and how has its meaning and relevance evolved for you? Okay. Well, yoga for me at the time, I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was just exercise, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly practiced by women. And uh, with meditation, the same thing. I thought that it was part of uh, Buddhism. It was part of an Eastern religion. Um, But as I practiced it, I started to realize that yoga is actually a technology that helps to... uh, more or less center you, but also make you very aware and present as to what's happening around you. And uh, so the evolution of yoga from uh, an exercise Mm -hmm. to a basically a way of life, because in yoga, we have not just the asanas and the practice, the postures, but we have the uh, moral precepts, the uh, ethical precepts, the self cleanliness, the purity aspect to it. There's the meditation as one of the limbs. There's concentration. There's and a, eight limbs there's, of yoga. Correct. And we always think that the, the asanas, the poses are, are yoga. And that's actually only one of the eight limbs, as it were. Exactly. Right? And you got very attracted to me. This Now, I told you in the green room, I wasn't going to ask you about that. And I've changed my mind. I'm <laughs> okay. going to ask you about right. something. And, and, and why I love this is I think you're one of the only people I've ever heard speak of this. You speak of your most important teacher now being nature. What does this mean exactly, and how does nature inform your yoga practice? Okay, wonderful question. I'm glad you asked me. (laughs) Um, Well, as you meditate, as you practice yoga, what you're doing is you're starting to quiet down all the inner thoughts and inner chatter and all of the ways that we construct our personalities, such that you become just very present, very empty, very spacious, very sensitive. Mm-hmm. And, and and by practicing yoga also, you're purifying your body, you're breathing into it, you're detoxing, etc. And as we talked about the eight limbs, it also helps to purify your diet. You make dietary changes as you move through your practice. More vegetarianism, that sort of thing? Yeah, more clean, definitely more seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you, you avoid the extremes such as salt and sugar. Yes. You recognize how they throw off your equilibrium and, and your meditative practice. Um, so there came a point where I started to become just very centered and grounded and sensitive. That I started to recognize that, oh, I'm inseparably connected to the environment. Hmm. So if there's an environmental event happening, like for example, today we have this huge low pressure system. (laughs) Snowstorm. (laughs) Dumping snow on us. 
that you'll feel it in your body. Mm-hmm. And where before I wouldn't necessarily make that connection, I would take what was happening and I would personalize it, I identify it. Mm-hmm. And that would lead to suffering sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if I had a headache, I would resist the headache instead of having the wisdom to realize, oh, well, this headache is maybe due to the low barometric pressure. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's because I had too much salt in my diet in my last meal, mm-hmm. something like that. So once I made that connection, then what happens is you realize, oh, it's not me. Mm-hmm. Rather, this is an experience that's happening within nature. Mm-hmm. I'm part of nature. And so you don't develop any negativity or resistance. That's so cool. That's very, very interesting. So is it just being aware of what's happening in nature, learning? What, what about the whole lunar cycle and all that sort of stuff that you talk about? Sure. So there are natural cycles that we're part of. So there's the solar cycle of the Earth going around the sun 365 days. We know it's winter. The, the, the parts of the solar cycle are quite obvious to us. We know the seasons and how they affect us and how they change our behavior. The lunar cycle is the moon going around the Earth every 29 days. And it controls how the gravity, the tractive force. We know how the moon pulls on the uh, on the earth and creates the tides. It can literally move the oceans. So there are times in the lunar cycle that are more uh, apt for activity and excitement and other times that are more apt for slowing down, contracting. Mm. And we see this in our language, even words like uh, lunatics. <laughs> you know, so at the full moon, there can be, you know, you can be quite excitable. Right, right. And there are some yoga traditions that <clears throat> respect this and actually don't practice around the full moon or the new moon right. due to the gravitational extremes. So it's it's an important time to pause and simply meditate and wait for the crest of the wave <laughs> to peak and then start moving towards the other expression. And start all over again. Can you explain to our listeners who are new to yoga what the difference is between meditation and mindfulness? And I, we're really making this whole show about mindfulness, mm-hmm. but is there a difference? And if so, what is the difference? Okay. Um, well, mindfulness is a term that I believe John Kabat-Zinn coined um, in the late 1970s after he had studied over in India or in the East. And it was a um, Western translation of something called Vipassana. Vipassana was the technique that, as uh, tradition goes, the Buddha taught back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um which involves observing your breath and then moving towards the observation of sensations in your body to see how they come and they go. Hmm. So mindfulness is basically the Western expression of Vipassana. Vipassana. Of Vipassana. And it's basically the exact same technique. Um, Whereas... That is one subset under the broader umbrella of meditation. So there are different meditation techniques that are more of a mantra-based style. Mm -hmm. So a mantra is like a syllable or a couple syllables that you repeat over and over again to help concentrate your mind. What would be a word? Like it'd be like so hum, kind of the the sounds you make when you breathe, like your inhales, so and hum hum as you exhale. So, so on the inhale... And hum on the exhale. Lovely. Yeah. That's a great one. It's a nice one. Really nice. And it pacifies the mind. It helps the mind to settle down and and be present. Um, for me, I found that while that was a very good technique to help settle and concentrate my mind, what I really liked about mindfulness and Vipassana was how it goes deeper into the body and it starts to use the sensations of the body as the object of your attention. Nice. 
Then there's another kind of meditation that was very popular maybe 30, 40 years ago, and that's Transcendental Meditation, TM, which is a popular version of a mantra-based meditation technique. Can you speak to that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this was the technique that I believe the Beatles were taught when they went over to Rishikesh <laughs> cool. in India. Yeah. Um, so Transcendental Meditation has become quite popular. And again, it's a mantra-based in the sense that your teacher will give you a specific individualized mantra. It might be two or three syllables. It might be a little longer. And your practice is to repeat it over and over again until your mind just settles. So a hard day's night and a little help from my friends might have all started with with some TM, right? (laughs) That's so cool to think about that. That's amazing. So Mindfulness is a meditative technique under the broader umbrella of meditation. Meditation is the state of being completely at one with what is arising in the present moment, as you describe, such that the subject-object paradigm dissolves completely. Now, as you've mentioned, I know you began the last time you were on the show in uh, back in November. We talked about how your first exposure was John Kabat-Zinn in the library, just reading books, probably like Full Catastrophe Living or wherever you go, there you are, or even this Mindfulness for Beginners. Mm-hmm. And we're very excited because we've been hoping to have this on the show since we started back in uh, in September. We are thrilled to have him reading now from one of his many books, Mindfulness for Beginners, Reclaiming the Present Moment and Your Life. So let's have a listen to this clip from, from Mindfulness for Beginners, available on SoundsTrue.com. And here is John Kabat-Zinn right now. What is Mindfulness. My working definition of mindfulness is that it's paying attention on purpose in the present moment as if your life depended on it, non-judgmentally. Actually, mindfulness is what comes out of paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally and as if your life depended on it. And that is nothing else than awareness. Now, awareness is something that we're all intimately familiar with and yet complete strangers to. So the training in mindfulness that we'll be exploring together is really the cultivation of a resource that's already yours. It doesn't require going anywhere. It doesn't require getting anything. But it does require in some way learning how to inhabit another domain of mind that we are as a rule, fairly out of touch with, even though, of course, if we didn't have it, we'd already be dead. Mindfulness is often spoken of as the heart of Buddhist meditation. But really, mindfulness is universal because it's about attention and awareness, as I've just said, and attention and awareness are capacities that are shared by all of us. Nevertheless, It is fair to say that the most refined and developed articulations of mindfulness throughout history and how to cultivate it come from the Buddhist tradition. But I think by the same token, it's important to keep in mind that the Buddha himself was not a Buddhist. And even the term Buddhism wasn't established until the 18th century. And that term was coined by European religious scholars who had very little understanding of what the statues on the altars of temples were of some guy sitting cross-legged and what they were really about. What those statues and other Buddhist art objects are all about is actually the mind and states of mind. 
And the Buddha represents a state of mind that can simply be called, and he did speak about it in this way, awake. So the Buddha had some profound insights into the nature of the human mind that applied to any human mind, not just Buddhists or people practicing Buddhist meditation for that matter. Otherwise, really, it would be of no value. I like to think of the Buddha as a, a scientist, a genius of a scientist, really, who had no instruments at his disposal other than his own body and his own mind, and he used them to great advantage to explore the deep questions that he was interested in, like what is the nature of the mind and what is the nature of suffering? Lovely. The book Mindfulness for Beginners by John Kabat-Zinn is available on Amazon and at all major booksellers and at SoundsTrue.com. And we want to thank SoundsTrue.com for giving us the courtesy of using this clip. And we're going to commercial very soon. But Josh, do you have any comments after listening to these words from Kabat-Zinn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were <clears throat> very wise and very wonderful in the sense that he highlights the fact that awareness is our true state. And then, so really the practice of yoga or meditation or any sort of spiritual technique is to remove the obstacles of how to get back to just being aware, present in the the moment. What happens when we practice on a regular basis? Like I know we all want to do this, but but you do see the difference when you practice, even if it's for five Mm -hmm. minutes a day, Mm -hmm. but it's every day. What Mm -hmm. happens when that occurs? What what happens is that the line between practicing and not practicing starts to dissolve so that the insights and the skills you get while you're practicing start to become apparent in your everyday day life. Mm -hmm. So you realize that, oh, I'm not quite as reactive as I was a week ago. Mm -hmm. You know, some event has happened that would have caused me to respond and with negativity. I'm not really generating that anymore. Mm -hmm. Or at least I have now the space in which to decide how to respond instead of it just being automatic. Right. Right. When we last met, you mentioned there are some wonderful meditation apps out there. One of them is the Serenity app. And these are apps you can get on your phone, the Calm Mm -hmm. app, the Serenity app. And I love the Serenity one because Mm -hmm. it's from Australia and there's something about her voice that's (laughs) so calming and soothing. We're going to go to a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to play you a brief clip from one of those apps, the Serenity app, and talk more about mindfulness and meditation with Josh Cohn. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and 
this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. We're talking about mindfulness with yoga and meditation teacher and lawyer, Josh Cohen. And Josh, before the break, we talked about how not all beginners are able to meditate right away. They resist it. They might find it difficult. And when you're learning how to medicate, there's me- medicate, not <laughs> medicate. That's the key. <laughs> meditate. There are, there are many different ways to get into it. And one of those ways you said is with meditation apps. And I've always gravitated towards the Serenity app from Australia. I learned about it from a friend of mine, Ruth Rosenheck, who's a psychotherapist in Australia. Mm. And she said she recommends it to everyone. So I picked it up and it really has helped a lot of people. The app is described like this. Serenity is the ideal way to learn meditation and mindfulness. The app gradually teaches a selection of basic techniques over a seven-day introductory course. This provides a solid foundation on which users can build a regular meditation practice. So we have a little clip from that app right now, courtesy of the Serenity app people. Thank you, Serenity. Let's have a listen. Welcome to the first day of level one. Over the next seven meditation sessions, we will gradually learn a variety of meditative and cognitive skills. These skills and techniques can enable improvements to all aspects of your life, be it your work, relationships with family and friends, less anxiety and worry, or a general sense of ease with yourself and your surroundings. If you are capable of committing just 10 minutes each day for the next week, you will learn techniques that you can use for the rest of your life. Okay, I'm just having a little nap there. That's yeah. <laughs> so relaxing and lovely. So what do you think when you hear an app like this? I know you're so much more involved than just doing an app, but for people who are starting, who are beginners, who might be struggling, or maybe who just want to fall asleep in a more mm-hmm. gentle and soothing manner, what do, you re- what do you think about apps like this? I think they're fantastic. And I think it's wonderful that we can have something just at our fingertips that can give us guidance to bring us back to our body, to our senses, to the present moment. Um, certainly, I recommend them to everyone, whether you're a beginner or advanced. It's nice sometimes to hear someone else's uh, approach to it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I would also add is that along with doing the apps is to try doing it without the app. Mm-hmm. So just being in silence and letting uh, silence draw to the surface all of your thoughts and all of your sensations and seeing if they'll change how they they burn off after time right and one thing that i've recommended to people is to set a timer mm-hmm. if you set a timer then you have like uh something to work towards you know a sense of like accomplishment um and I did it, it. <laughs> yeah exactly and and you can start to see how um after maybe five minutes you want to sit for longer you want to sit for seven or nine and eventually 15 20 minutes right that's so great. So you say start, use a timer, set the timer for five minutes, gradually increase to 20 to 30. But that is what we're going for, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to establish this as a daily practice and you do it. And and that burning off time where, where you're resisting and you're not wanting to, those thoughts and you're trying to silence them and just come back to the breath and notice the breath. How long does that burn off thing? Does that, yeah. sometimes that takes up a lot of the practice. Exactly. Can that be up to 15, 20 minutes typically? Yeah. And, and then the last 10 is just where you 
enjoy. It's almost like a run, right? Mm-hmm. The beginning of the run, you're like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And then towards the end, they're like, oh, that endorphin release feels so good. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right? precisely. Right? That's so amazing. That's so amazing. I've heard it said that when one person in a group starts to meditate, mm-hmm. it changes the whole dynamic of the group. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that? Okay. Those Is are it, your words. I, yeah. no, I haven't heard it said from Time Magazine. I heard it from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, in groups and especially families, we tend to fall into predictable dynamics. We are creatures of habit by nature, all of us. <laughs> and so it can be that we become um, very predictable within the group so that when, once, when someone starts to meditate, what is happening is they are starting to watch their reactions. They're watching how something around them is creating a uh, the beginning of a reaction inside them and they're getting the power to not necessarily respond like they would have in the past. So when somebody in a group dynamic is a meditator, what happens is they break the chain of predictability Hmm. and habituality such that they'll respond in a new way and that new response wakes up the other person, the other people, because they're hearing something different that they weren't expecting that now forces them to pay attention that's so good. That's such a great thing for families to do, right? Especially for families. For, for kids. I mean, this isn't just for adults. This can mm-hmm. be for kids mm-hmm. who might be having a difficult time falling asleep or concentrating or focus or so many things. Mm-hmm. And and maybe then the other kids go, wow, I want to try that. And, and, and it become, can become a great family activity. What are some of the practical ways that someone can integrate or implement mindfulness into their lives? Well, I mean, the the best thing is, of course, to try and do it on a regular basis. Consistency matters more than quantity. Mm-hmm. So it's better to meditate five minutes a day than one hour once a week. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. And some tips are to try to do it at the same time every day. The morning is by far and away the best time. Because first of all, the morning you can be more consistent generally. You're not in the afternoon, in the evenings, you often have social events that might disrupt your practice. Also, in the morning, when you wake up, you're still somewhat in that dreamlike state, so, mm-hmm. so somewhat formless. And so you have the ability to really feel your consciousness, really get a sense of it and smooth it out. And also what we find is whenever we meditate, the benefits of it ripple into the future. Right. So if you're meditating right away in the morning, you're basically calibrating and tuning up. So you'll have a better, more smoother day ahead. And you can almost create an intention at the end of your meditation for the rest of the day, Mm -hmm. which will be informed by that meditation. It's interesting because we have Julia Cameron coming up, the seminal writer on creativity Mm -hmm. who wrote The Artist's Way, which has just had a 25th anniversary edition. And she's coming on the program to talk. And again, her whole thing is the morning pages. Uh You can't do them at 3 p.m. or at midnight. Like they really are meant to be done in that pre-reflective, pre-conscious state when you're just pure conscious. Consciousness mm-hmm. and and all of your preconceived ideas and notions and prejudices and philosophies haven't started to cloud your that beautiful pure you know open open view that you have when you first wake up. Yeah, it's like so you're, it's, you're being reborn in the morning. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's a chance to do it again anew every day, which is so fantastic. So, what is your take on extended meditation? And you have done fifteen of these meditation retreats, some of them in India, which is so cool, yeah. and some here in Ontario, but yeah. I believe at a very cool place. What do you like most about these meditation retreats, and can you describe them for our listeners? Sure. So, um, the majority of them have been at the Ontario Vipassana Center, which is uh, n- close to Barrie, and um, it's a wonderful uh, facility. The uh, 
treat you very well in the sense that you're very comfortable. The food is fantastic. It's made by other people who are meditating. But the real gift of it is you are taking 10 days out of your life to just be with yourself and you have no pressure and no responsibility. People mm -hmm. are cooking for you. All you have to do is have the courage to be there to, to be stay there. and to stay there. Um, so because you have this extended immersion in silence, what happens is it draws out of you up to the surface of your awareness, things that you've, uh, either pushed down because they're difficult and you don't want to deal with them or they were traumatic in your past. Or it reveals to you what your desires are, you know, what you want to have manifest in the future. So it really gives you an opportunity to get to know what's been driving you, both consciously and subconsciously. Because whatever is subconscious will come to the surface in those 10 days. Have you ever seen people have difficulty with what does come to the surface and, oh, yes. and, and cry and sometimes yeah. just want to leave and say, I don't want, I don't want to be, I don't want to be reminded or I don't want to think about those things that are coming up to the surface for me because maybe they have to come to terms with something mm -hmm. they don't want to come to terms with or, or, or end a relationship or, or do all those sorts of things. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. how many people have changed their jobs after doing a 10 day silent <laughs> retreat. Um, but certainly, uh, people struggle. They have very emotional experiences that are overwhelming at times. Um, remarkably, the, the people that completed is somewhere around 95%. So, wow. So most people love, most love pe it. Well, the, yeah, most people recognize the value of it. And there's a really good support staff around them that help to convince you to stay, to work through it. That this is exactly what the technique is trying to do. It's trying to draw up to the surface all the things that are disturbing your peace and your equanimity. Right. right. So I remember going to Arizona and doing a meditation with someone who said, on these meditation retreats, silent retreats, sometimes you could be sitting for 10 hours, you could have tremendous knee pain, you could be wanting to adjust so badly, and the person who, the meditation guru or the, the leader, the, the, the teacher, will not allow you to move. You have to sit through that pain. And at first I thought like, Oh, I don't like that. That sounds like, that doesn't sound very yogic like that doesn't yeah. sound, but I think you have a different take on that. Yeah. I mean, uh, some of us have injuries, so we have to be mindful of that. So pr provided that you're in a safe position for your particular body and its condition, the value of sitting and staying with uncomfortable sensations is immeasurable because in our regular life, we, we tend to avoid them. We mm -hmm. always are seeking comfort. We're not allowing ourselves to sit right. with discomfort. Right. But it's the discomfort that's going to reveal to us how we are resisting difficult experiences. And by sitting with them for a longer period of time, we also start to recognize how they are transient in nature, mm -hmm. how they won't stay the same. Even if the pain doesn't uh, go away, its intensity fluctuates. Right. It might pulsate. There may be a center of the pain. There may be a periphery. And as you have this inquisitive attitude, what you find is that the sensation of pain is there, but the suffering is gone. So interesting. You once said something, I should just tell everyone that you were my teacher at 889 Yoga, and I loved that those classes so much. What, what is the, the nature between suffering? Because I remember hearing once that we impose a lot of our own self-suffering. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's real suffering. There's no question in the world. But there's a lot of suffering that we bring on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And how can meditation help alleviate that or change that? Well, meditation teaches you to depersonalize experience, <laughs> Ex to start to see experience as being 
transient in a flow and a flux things that come and they go but you as the observer stay the same it's like the sky isn't affected by the fact that there are clouds in it or lightning or thunderstorms or sunshine <laughs> it, it's the space is the space and so we start to experience ourselves this way that although we may be experiencing a strong sensation or a strong state of mind like grief or sadness or lust that these states are like storms that will pass mm -hmm. and once we have that perspective then we no longer suffer we recognize that oh this is coming but we know from experience that it's bound by the law of impermanence to change. Right. How does bearing witness to sensations, thoughts, feelings create over time a greater capacity to work with challenging circumstances and interactions in our everyday lives? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're working with them, you're working with them in your own safe meditation space and you're letting them arise. And so as this intensity uh, arises in your nervous system, it is starting to develop a greater capacity within the nervous system to handle that type of charge, right. that type of experience, such that off the cushion, when you're in the world and you have some kind of event that happens yes. that creates a big charge in your nervous system, you're going to have a greater ability to experience it without breaking down. Right. Right, without, you've almost flexed those muscles, mm. you've strengthened those muscles, and so these things happen, and instead of reacting, you just observe, and you just observe, and, and say, wow, that's interesting, that's what's happening, and you continue on. Yeah, sometimes action will be called for, and you'll take skillful action. Other times, you'll be able to let things pass. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you mentioned, uh, like, it's like a workout for your brain, because what we've seen is that as soon as eight weeks of meditation, it actually changes the physical structure of your brain, yes. so that your prefrontal cortex starts to get thicker. And what we've learned is that Meditation rewires the way the brain works such that when stimuli comes into the body, into the mind, it gets rerouted away from the amygdala and towards the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex has uh, is the latest in the evolution of the brain, and it's responsible for like higher order processing, concentration, awareness, decision making. The amygdala was more of our reptilian brain, and it would be the fight or flight response. And so, it's what the the wonderful way that meditation works is that it's starting to actually change the way that you process the world, right. so that it's away from the more primitive. Uh, reactive part of the brain and more towards the higher evolved decision-making part of the brain. You said something that I love, which is when you see yourself as everyone and everything else, you've arrived home. Hmm. I love that. I almost want to repeat that so everybody can hear that again. When you see yourself as everyone and everything else, you've arrived home. Can you explain? Sure. So as we're meditating, we are removing our personality, we're removing the obstacles to our bliss, to our happiness. Yes. And we're starting to recognize the ways we uh, attach to pleasurable sensations and resist negative sensations. And by letting go of those uh, habit patterns, we start to fall back into this choiceless observer. And this choiceless observer becomes very spacious. The feeling of uh, the experience inside is that you become broader, mm -hmm. such that things don't disturb your equilibrium the way they might have. Mm -hmm. And when you have greater spaciousness within you, you have the ability to incorporate what's happening around you 
and give it more attention. So when you're talking with someone, you give them your full presence. They really have a feeling that they're being heard and seen. And so then in turn, that will snowball in the sense that they'll open up to you and share more. So whether it's yoga or meditation, the spiritual process is about learning how to let go of things, how to give up. It's not a matter of trying to gain special skills or powers. I mean, those might be byproducts, which are great, but it's not the the intent. The intent is to recognize that you are the whole, you are the world. And Gandhi had an interesting quote that's related to the one you mentioned. He said that when you reduce yourself to zero, you become immensely powerful. Wow. And it's by letting go of the ego, deconstructing it and starting to recognize that you are inseparably connected to everybody else, then your actions will have this uh, holistic quality to them, this altruistic nature to them that starts to radiate and shine and other people are drawn to it and learn from it. That sounds so fantastic. I, 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 we have to do a part three, Josh, because once again, we're, we're out of time. We're going to a commercial. We're bringing on our other guests. We'd love you to stay for the remainder of the show, but you're so terrific. And we always thank you for being here and we want you to come back. I'll again. be happy to. It's a never ending learning, <laughs> learning. It's amazing. We're going to go to a short commercial break. And when we come back, mindfulness expert Linda Janice will be here back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. We are here with Linda Janis, and she is a leading researcher, keynote speaker, award-winning journalist, Emmy award-winning producer, integrative coach, and she holds a PhD. She studied Eastern philosophy through Harvard University, and she participated in John Kabat-Zinn's mindfulness-based stress reduction training program. I've just fully lost my my (laughs) headphones. I'm going to go to the old-fashioned kind right over here. There we go. Oh, I'm home again. Okay. (laughs) And uh, she went on to create the transformational six-week training program, Mindfulness Meditation and Movement MMM program that teaches the science and strategies for sustainable well-being, success, and resilience using the most effective techniques to help individuals live healthier, happier, and more productive lives. She is also the director of Mindful Alliance, a nonprofit that supports the work and research of mindfulness and its practical applications. Welcome, Linda Janice, to the program. So Judy, great. <laughs> such, such a privilege to be here yes. and such an honor. And it's extraordinary to watch you and the important work that you're doing here. 
on finding your thank you so much and i'm going to let the the listeners in on on a little secret of ours that we worked together many years ago on an award-winning i can say that show called in the spotlight and you were the main reporter i was the host Mm -hmm. and you did beautiful wonderful reports with karen kane and we had a wonderful time together and it did win uh best arts program in all of north america by the hometown usa video festival Mm -hmm. and we did that together and that was great (laughs) it's great to be with you again what a privilege to be here and you know as a fellow kindred spirit to again see what you're doing here is just so meaningful Thank you so much, Linda. So, Linda, what do you do exactly? I know you have a doctorate. I know you won a Daytime Emmy Award as a host and producer. I know that you're an amazing human being. And I've actually even seen you in action doing this mindfulness and meditation at a wonderful clinic where you actually relaxed 75 people right in front of my eyes and did all this wonderful speaking and coaching and work. What do you do exactly with mindfulness, meditation, and movement? Really, my goal is to enable individuals to learn to personalize and and work on their own developing of self-management, ultimately to allow them to cultivate the skills to show up to their own experience in a healthier, more present, more effective and productive way. What got you interested in mindfulness meditation? Because you were always a host, you were a mm-hmm. reporter, you did radio, you did all sorts of things. And all of a sudden, you you developed this whole new area a little bit later in life. Mm-hmm. So perfect presumer. And, and you became this major person in Florida, doing this kind of work. What got you interested initially? You know, there is a A very powerful saying that Rumi, the Persian poet from the 15th century, said, he said, the wound is where the light shines through. I had had a terrible tragedy in my family, and it really knocked the wind out of me and brought me to my knees. And it was through that, that experience that I needed to find a way, despite the fact that I had classic kind of psychotherapy training, to find another modality, another way to um, learn to allow that light to shine through. In Florida, through South Miami Hospital, um, there had been a research program that John Kabat-Zinn had started, and I had been invited to participate in it. And I had been in a very dark space, and we had been required as part of our training to meditate. And I remember the first week, second week, third week, we're meditating, and probably into the fourth week, I felt this lifting that I hadn't felt in a very long time. And there was something so physical and so profound about this that it really shifted my my life's purpose, it really allowed me to find my bliss and a way to show up to my own experience in a much kinder, more compassionate um, and more loving way. Do you meditate daily or is this something you do as often as possible? What's your meditation I start practice? my day with part of my program, the MMM program, I start with gratitude, the inquiry system, which is a way to prime and reframe an intentional way of showing up. I meditate. Um, So it's kind of a recipe that I start my day with. It doesn't take a long time. But as Josh said, it's consistency for me that is significant. Although, as a researcher, I will tell you, 
meditation is a dose-based practice, which means the more you do, the more cognitive neurological uh, benefits that you receive from it. And how long would you say it could even just happen for three minutes a day? Like, what do we tell the listeners about where to start? You know, where to start is where you are. Even a couple of minutes to begin to familiarize yourself with the practice. My personal practice is seven minutes and 20 seconds. (laughs) You know, because my research has demonstrated that there is um, a certain amount where you begin to find that sweet spot, that you're able to prime yourself, that you're able to. And, you know, to me, we have 1,440 minutes a day. I think we can find a bit of time to to allow ourselves. We work at our bodies. This is working out our minds and our spirits. So, it, it is transformational if, in fact, you're willing to do to it. To do the work. And I think we're worth it. Is there a place that you like to do it? Every is, is it true that you have to sort of have a space on a cushion and near a window? No, <laughs> no, no, no. Because, you know, as John Kabat-Zinn says, we take ourselves wherever we go. For me, truthfully, and I often, you know, when I'm, I'm coaching or teaching, whether it be corporately or not, I'm very honest about this. My alarm goes off. <laughs> and before my feet hit the ground, I do my my practice. It's intentional. It's there because for me to start my day in a, wow. in an attitudinal way is a transformational shift. Isn't that and how I live my life? And if you forget, or you're too busy, or you're traveling, do you notice the difference in your body, mind, and spirit on that day when you haven't done it? Um, I think it takes a bit of time to get back to default. On the other hand. Um, it isn't worthwhile right. not to have that space and that time. Have you convinced other family members to partake in this, or is this sort of your solo journey? Well, no, I, I mean, <laughs> I've literally worked with thousands of individuals now, whether it be corporately. I, you know, my programming is approved by the Florida Bar Association for Attorneys. I've worked with Kimpton Hotels and nonprofits. Um, I've, what I have learned is, You know, there's a great saying that the Buddha said when his disciples came to him and said, we have found that this work and this practice Mm -hmm. is transformative. And we've gone and told our family and our friends. (laughs) And the Buddha said, be a Buddha, not a Buddhist. I I don't need to sell this, but if I can be a living example Example. of the work, then that to me is, is important enough. Absolutely. Who benefits most from programs such as these? Who I think everyone all of benefits. Us. All of us. If everybody would benefit. A mother, a teacher, a lawyer, a friend, a sister, a colleague, a kindred spirit. This is an investment into one's well-being. What do you say to people who've never done it before where to start? Because a lot of people resist it. A lot of people are afraid of it. A lot of people say, I, I just don't have time for it. And as you pointed out, there's a thousand something minutes in the day. There's certainly two to three minutes to find time for meditation. But where, in your opinion, can people just start? What's a good, when you're helping people, what do you suggest for the beginner? I, you know, as a researcher, I think we're all researchers in our own lab. And I don't, I can encourage individuals, but I, I say that the truth is in the work, that if you're just willing to begin, it doesn't have to be perfect. Perfect is the enemy of good. It's a matter of becoming familiar with this. It's, yeah. it's leaning into it and testing it. And you will find out where this takes you. This I, takes I you. you know, 
everyone's on their own path and to begin where you are, wherever that is. That's is, like, is, his, that's like his book, wherever you go, there you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you describe what the mindful alliance is and why you started it? Okay. So this is a, um, I embarked on this project to allow other individuals to participate in a standard of the work. You know, I have worked with Yoga Alliance. And what we know is this idea of bringing mindfulness into schools, into companies, into hospitals, um, into clinics is important. Yet a lot of people talk about, oh, I'm a, I'm a this and I'm a that, yeah. is to create an alliance of individuals and um, companies that are bringing this in. You know, one of the things that we have found is um, when companies engage their uh, employees with mindfulness-based programming, their engagement, loyalty, productivity, and motivation begins to go up. By bringing more of this work to more individuals, I think we all have an opportunity to improve our companies, to improve well-being for individuals. So it really is that initiative. That's a win-win for everybody. It, is. it, it is. really, really is. You have a big outreach and you're involved in so many different things. Is there a particular part of your work that is the most meaningful to you? I feel very privileged to work with individuals, you know, to see individuals flourish to me is extraordinary. I've worked with athletes and CEOs and couples. And, you know, to me, having the opportunity and the privilege to see individuals grow is significant. Um, I, you know, working with groups is also profoundly meaningful to be able to um, see individuals wake up really to this profound and extraordinary moment in their lives is is profound. You wrote a beautiful article for our magazine. We have a magazine called FindingYourBliss.com. And in fact, we always encourage people to write for it. And if you want to write for it, you just go write to Judy at FindingYourBliss.com. And Linda did write for it. And you wrote a beautiful article called Should Happens, Cultivate, Cultivating Your Bliss by Linda Janice, and you mentioned that there are brain scans that prove that mindfulness and meditation can actually change the size of key regions of our brains. And Josh Cohn can chime in on this as well. That's incredible. Can you explain this further? Part of my training and part of my research is to really understand the evidence-based research behind the work. Yes, I think we're our own researchers and our experience substantiates and supports the work. But as a researcher, having looked at brain scans, you know, part of the work allows us emotional regulation and the limbic system is really the seed of that. And when we can look at scans and see physiological changes... Despite the fact that this practice has been around literally for thousands of years, as scientists and researchers now, we're just starting to understand the impact on it. And I think one of the parts of this that is so extraordinary is that from an evolutionary standpoint, you know, psychology says or had said there is this kind of set point for us, this default where we all go back to our, our level of happiness or unhappiness, I think what we're just beginning to understand is that we can expand that. We can increase our happiness and well-being. And that, to me, is why and where this work starts. 
And do you think also what do you um, on, on your website also you write that we all have the opportunity to awaken to our truest self? Mm-hmm. How do we do that? And also, what do you mean by turning off our evolutionary switch? Well, you know, I, I think that particularly when individuals come to me, they think that they are innately flawed or that there is some kind of pathology, that there's something wrong with them. F, from an evolutionary standpoint, we know that so many of our thoughts have that negative bias. And it's not that we are by nature flawed. It's many of our thoughts revolve around survival, fear of the future. What if this happens? What if that happens? Our being able to live with more ease and have less suffering needs to be intentional and attitudinal. It becomes a practice that we cultivate. It is overcoming that space. How has practicing mindfulness changed your life? In every way. It has. I, I can respond to situations in a wiser way. I am more present, more purposeful, more productive, um, and I think more grateful. You know, I, the recognition is we're only given a certain amount of time. And rather than fearing that, celebrating the time that we're given, it is a shift to being the light and seeing it in a, in a, in a more attitudinal way in all that we do. What's bliss for Linda, Linda Janice? Bliss for Linda Janice. Part of it is being here, is <laughs> being here for this moment. Really, truly being a part of it, helping others um, find that space for them. And, and that, to me, is that gratitude and connection and consciousness. I love that. Loved having all, both Thank of you, you on the show so much today. What is the best way for people to contact you, Linda? They can contact me through my website, www.mindfulalliance.org. That's mindfulalliance.org. Or they can actually call me, and I'm always open for uh, questions, and it's 954-557-5127. 954-557-5127. Thank you so much. And good, good mm-hmm. <laughs> following the instructions, repeating twice. You're terrific. That's what I heard. You're I a pro. Mindful. You're a pro. <laughs> Thanks, Judy. That's so amazing. And Josh Cohn, so wonderful to have you again. We want you back again, both of you. And uh, just so fantastic. How can people contact you? The best way is via email. You can email me at yogawithjosh at yahoo.ca. That's yoga at Yoga with Josh. Yoga with Josh at yahoo.ca. Yoga with Josh. All right. That's fantastic. And I didn't ask you about your bliss this time. I asked you about it last time, but just briefly in a few words, what is bliss for Josh Cohn? Well, bliss is what I'm experiencing right now, watching <laughs> your rapport between you and Linda. <laughs> oh, that's you know, so nice. <laughs> the feeling of connection, yeah. you know, feeling connected to yeah. something yeah. and recognizing that they're part of you. Yeah. That's a blissful experience. So, and we're all we're all part of each yeah. other, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're we're all yeah. We're we're all working together. Absolutely. I want to thank my wonderful guests for being here today, Josh Cohn and Linda Janis. And I want to thank the producer of today's show in the studio, the wonderful Mag Ruffman. And she is fantastic and she's in a one woman show tomorrow. And if you want to find out more about that, go to my Instagram at the Bliss Minute and you can hear all about Mag Ruffman's one woman show. It's stupendous. I saw it in December. It's back again tomorrow and she's even going to be 
part of the Fringe Festival, which is so cool. I also want to thank production coordinator Siobhan Kylie, intern Haley Allegia, technical producer Duncan Briggs, and everyone here at Zoomer. To stay in touch with all of our exciting news, follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook, or check out our magazine at findingyourbliss.com. And as I mentioned, if you're interested in writing, just write to me, Judy, at findingyourbliss.com. As always, we're going to close out the show with a meditation. If you're driving, please pull over and turn off your ignition, sit back and enjoy. My teacher's watching, so I have to do a good job today. (laughs) Here is a meditation by Shakti Gawan from her book, Creative Visualization. Use the power of your imagination to create what you want in your life. This meditation today is called the Pink Bubble Technique, and it is simple and wonderfully effective. Just sit or lie down comfortably and close your eyes. Breathe deeply, slowly, and naturally, and gradually relax deeper and deeper, and just imagine something that you would like to manifest. And now imagine that it has already happened. Picture it as clearly as possible in your mind. And now in your mind's eye, surround your fantasy with a pink bubble and put your goal inside the pink bubble. Pink is the color associated with the heart. And if this color vibration surrounds whatever you visualize, it will bring you only that which is in perfect affinity with your being. The third step is to let go of the bubble and imagine it floating into the universe, still containing your vision. This symbolizes that you are emotionally letting go of it. Now it is free to float around the universe, attracting and gathering energy for its manifestation. And there's really nothing more that you need to do. Open your eyes, put a smile on your face, and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. For all of us here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.